Would you please stand? Before the sermon, let's make sure we get it right and state what we believe in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ. Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Would you please pray with me? Lord God, what a privilege it is to gather as your people on this day where we can cease from our work, gather together to hear your word and to receive your supper, reminding ourselves that you've provided the Savior which we so desperately needed. And as we walk through this series of your redemption, may we see you anew, afresh, like we've never seen you before, that you be glorified in our midst, and you would receive glory through our lives daily. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, like I mentioned at the welcome this year, we're walking through a series called The Redeeming Story of God. And I do so with three goals in mind. The first goal, and really for the rest of our time together, you know, as God grants me time with you. um, Three goals. Grasp the overarching story of the Bible first. What we have revealed in this word of God is one story which God tells of himself. You know, it could be found, or it should be found, in the autobiography section of Barnes & Noble. It's not, I know, but it should be, where God tells of himself. It also could be in the biography section, because it also tells about us, right? And the, the question is, the Bible answers the question, how do we get from point A to B? How do we get from in the beginning God to the place where all the angels are around the throne singing, worthy are you, Lord God, to receive glory and honor and power, and by your will you've created everything. How do we get there? Because there's so many people, while they may know some stories of the Bible, you know, you know Moses, you know Elijah, you know some stories about Jesus, you really struggle to put it all together it's like a puzzle with 3,000 pieces you know you start to put it together George my, my, my son-in-law gave us a puzzle of a Christmas picture we took a couple of years ago we're all wearing Pittsburgh Penguins jerseys we're all in black and he gives us a picture a puzzle to complete feature with 1,800 pieces you know Kimmy goes I'll give us through January we never finished it. We had to use a table. We had, we're setting di- up dinner for someone. We had to get rid of it. Didn't ever finish it. I think that's what a lot of people, would happen when they approach the Bible. They, they have bits and pieces, but they don't have it all together. And so that's what we want. The first thing we want to do is understand the overarching story of the Bible. Second, we want to grasp the vocabulary of the Bible. So every week, we're going to have one word 
that the sermon's going to be titled, which is expressing the theme. This week it's creation. I also could have named it life, you know, but we're going to see this every week and learn about those wonderful biblical words such as covenant, propitiation, priest, prophet. Because we need to understand this if we're going to understand the Bible's message. You know, if you're going to go buy a new computer, you better know what RAM, how much RAM it has, how many terabytes it has, what its connectivity is, how many apps it deals with. Those words didn't even exist 50 years ago, right? It's true. Language changes. But if you want to understand the speed and the efficiency of the computer, which you're about to buy, you better understand those words. And the same thing with the Bible. It's like when I was going back from my second semester Ole Miss, I was getting bored, and I, just, I, had, to, I had to do something. So I joined the rugby club. And we were in the SEC, you know, of the rugby club. It's English rugby, and I learned to play this game. And we played Alabama, LSU, Auburn. It was awesome. We were wearing the old Mississippi State. We got in a fight with Mississippi State. It was awesome, you know. It was so much fun, but I had to learn what a scrum was. I had to learn what a ruck is. I had to learn what a touch was. And all those words, if I was going to know the game of rugby, and it all kind of, after I stopped, when I came home and I stopped playing rugby, you know, I didn't come back, but it came back to me when I was in Bristol in the fall. It was so much fun to become a rugby fan again. It's a great game. It's wonderful. But if you're going to understand the game, you better understand the vocabulary, and that's what we're going to strive for here. Because the truth is that there are thousands of people that are professing Christians who have very little exposure to what the Bible actually says. And so the Lord wants us to learn his vocabulary. So we're going to strive for that to see more deeply what God wants to say to us. Third and last, we want to grasp the focus of the Bible. Although the Bible was written over many years and with many different authors, who were moved by the Spirit of God, the Bible has one subject, Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 24, after Jesus has risen from the dead, he's walking on the Emmaus Road, and he did this Bible discussion with these guys as they were walking, and he told them all the things concerning himself. <laughs> all right. So what's Jesus saying there? What's Luke saying there? What's Jesus saying through Luke? The Bible's all about Jesus, okay? And that's important for us. And so what we're going to do over the next seven, eight weeks as we go from first Sunday of Lent through Easter is hold the scripture up like a diamond and every week turn it a little bit so we see a different angle and love of Jesus Christ's love for you and for me, Okay? And so today we're going to start this morning at Genesis 1. So turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis 1.1. If you're visiting, that, that uh, passage in the back is not going to do you all that great because I'm going to jump to chapter 2. Sorry, I changed it on the fly during my study day. And they had already gone to print. This happens to me. All right, so it's my fault. I admit it. So if you don't have your Bible with you, you can open up in your app. And we want to get into this, all right? So the Bible opens by introducing two characters, God and man. First, 
God, what do we know about God? We open very at the very first page. In the beginning, God. See, the whole Bible is full of God's activity and the disclosure by God of who he is and what he desires to accomplish right from the beginning. And what he is saying to you in that is, I want you to know I am here. I'm not distant. I am here. That's the first thing you must grasp. God is there. And in the next couple of words, we discover he's also the creator. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So he's saying to us, here's what I want you to know. I want you to know that I am here, and I want you to know that everything that surrounds you in creation is mine. I made it, and you are my special creation. We look at baby Cooper, and we see that's God's creation through his servants, Megan and Josh, and every single one of us are his creation, all right? Creation carries the right of ownership. We need to understand that. We live in a world of patents, copyrights, trademarks. When I say just do it, what do you think of? Nike. When I say finger licking good, what do you think of? The meat of the South, man. It's the best, right? All right. It's just great. If, if McDonald's used the phrase finger licking good for their hamburgers, would KFC have a problem? Absolutely. Why? They have the right to ownership of finger licking good. Right? And so what God is saying in saying he created the heavens and the earth is that he has the rights of an owner. He says, I am here. I am the creator. And what that means is that he has ownership rights over us. Because the reality is either you are an accident of millennia in history, which would mean that you'd be absolute free agent to do whatever you wanted to do. You can live an absolutely free life, accountable to nobody, but ultimately meaningless. Or you're created by somebody, and if you're created by someone, that someone has the full rights of ownership over you and all that concerns you. And God says that I am that someone in this verse. <laughs> I am that one who has ownership over you and all that concerns you. And I want to disclose to you in my word what I'm going to give you now. And we need to take it seriously, my friends. So one of these things is true of you. Either you believe that you're an accident of history and therefore completely free to live the life you desire to live and run your life your way you want to and indulge your life to the end, that you could ultimately ruin it, or just have a great, wonderful life, but it's ultimately meaningless, or you were created by someone, and if that's the case, that someone has absolute rights of ownership over you. And that is what God is telling us this morning. You're not your own. Your life is a trust given by God to you. You're not worthless. You're not aimless. And so he wants to bring you into being as much as close to him as he brought Adam and Eve as close to them and discover meaning 
and purpose. So in verse 26 of chapter 1, it says, God, he said, let us make man in our own image after our likeness. So after five days, God creates and he creates man in his image, meaning that we are a reflection and he's made us in such a way that we're able to reflect something of his nature, something of his glory in our world. And that word man is used in a generic term to include male and female, by the way. Look at verse 27, chapter 1. Male and female, he created them. We're different than the animals. The animals were created by God, but none of them are like God, and we are. Because we're created in his image. This is why no human being should be treated like an animal. And no animal should be treated like a human being. Two, by the way. <laughs> okay. It's a dog. All right. Come on. They're significantly different. And we're created in his image. And yet, we're quite fragile. If you look at chapter 2 and verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground. So you got a lifeless body just laying there. And God, it says, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. God formed this man lying lifeless on the ground and breathed the breath of life. God's always doing that. Acts 17.25 says he gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. God sustains you one breath at a time, ladies and gentlemen. So if you want to live your life without God, try to do so without taking a breath, please. To ignore God while drawing breath that he gives would be a sad thing. And it grieves the heart of God greatly. And so there we have the two main characters. You have God. You have Adam and Eve. And what we see in these passages today, and I believe the Lord would have us know at Christ Church, is the four great gifts of this life that we must grasp hold of. He gave Adam and Eve these gifts, and he gives us these gifts. The first gifts he gives that we possess as well is his presence. If you look at chapter 3, verse 8, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden of the cool of the day. 3, verse 8. This is a theophany. This is the visible appearance of God. This is Jesus Christ <laughs> walking with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day, talking with them. This is when you can sing in the garden. We don't sing in the garden here, but that's, you can sing it. And he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me I am his own. They knew that. Isn't that amazing? So he lived with them, and that's the first gift he gave them was his presence. And God did for Adam and Eve what he does for us in an invisible way. God desires a relationship with the man and woman that they may know him, enjoy him, and see him through this Old Testament theophany. And God shows us the intense desire of his heart to establish fellowship with his people through his word. 
Adam and Eve walked with God and they received that gift of his presence every day. Secondly, he gave them a place. Look at verse 8 of chapter 2. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. While we're not certain where the Garden of Eden was located, we're, we're told of, of four rivers, the Pishon and the Gihon. We don't know where those are. You know, they've, they've, they've long disintegrated. We're not, they're not known to us. But the Tigris and Euphrates are still there, which run through present-day Iraq. All right? And that's helpful. What's significant is that the Lord put Adam there and placed him in the garden. Meaning that he was created outside the garden and the Lord led him and placed him in that garden. Saying, I've prepared a place for you. God created a particular place where Adam and Eve would know and enjoy the blessing of God. And that's helpful for us because he's doing the same thing for us as well. He has determined the places that we've all lived throughout our lives, and he's determined this is the place where we live right now. Yep, God's called you to be in Cleveland, Ohio. Yeah? (laughs) None of us are here by accident. God placed us here like he did Adam and Eve, and as we grasp that, it's so helpful for strength for living for tough times. Okay? God gives us his presence. He gives us his place, a place for us. Third, he gives us a purpose. Genesis 2, 15 and 16. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And in addition, verse 19, now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was his name. Adam is invited to participate in God with care for the land. You know, I'm sure the work was great, but work is from the beginning of creation, my friends. And he's occupied with this work and the naming of the animals is the first science project. Very simply put, you know, but he observes the animals, he watches what they do, and in Hebrew he names these animals like what they're doing, how they look, He observes them, gives them a test, and gives them a name. And so God initiated that work, and God brought these animals to Adam. So I think what's important for us, when we think about our purpose and our work, think about that tomorrow morning when you go to work. God cares about your vocation and wants to be a part of it with you. Okay? That job is not a mistake. And the last gift we see in these passages, he gives the gift of a partner. Verse 18, the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Verse 22, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from Adam, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Can you imagine the story? You're sitting there naming the animals. Gator, giraffe, bear, possum. Hey, Adam. Yo. You know, I have someone here for you to meet. 
the Hebrew and the English is pretty good, all right? Verse 23 of chapter 2. This at last. Okay? You could tell, I mean, at last. You know, finally there's someone like me. All right? Bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. I'm sure his jaw just dropped at her beauty. And he couldn't wait just to see her and get to know her and relate to her and walk through life with her. This is the first marriage, my friends. All right? Saying that this is the partner God has made for you. All right? Neither of them doubted that the reason they were together was that they were joined together by God. All right? Because there will be times in every marriage, in every marriage, when a husband and wife will need to return to that fact. Amen? Marriage is the joining together of one woman, one man, by God. One flesh. Verse 24. It's a gift each to the other. When two people marry, when two people marry, God does in an invisible way what God did for Adam and Eve in a visible way. And if you're married, try to envision God taking your hand and placing it in the hand of your spouse and joining you together. Saying to you, do life together. Forgive one another. Labor together. Love one another. This is what God has done for you, my friends. And when you realize that this is what God has done for you and joined for you, it will help in a wonderful way in difficult times. And if you're single, remember that it's God who brings. This is not a permission to be passive. If you desire to be wed, that's a good thing. But there's no need to panic. You can trust God in every area of your life to bring that right person to you. So if you're looking for the right spouse and you're single, walk in the will of the Lord. Follow his ways. Be about his work. And keep praying. Some of God's greatest missionaries and servants have been single people they're not second-class citizens in the, in the in the kingdom of god we need our singles and we can trust god in every area of our lives do you see the gr amazing goodness of god who loves us so the gifts of his presence the gifts of a place the gift of a purpose and the gift of a partner Next week, we're going to see that it won't remain like this. And even though through their rebellion, it brought the loss of joy of his constant presence, he wasn't distant from them. Eventually, the God who walked with them physically in the garden came to earth to heal and restore that which was broken by their and our rebellion. Jesus Christ came that we may have life and have it to the abundance, my friends. So God wants us to know all of these realities today. That he is the creator. He is here. And therefore he has rights of ownership in our lives. And he's made us in his image. And he's given us dignity and worth and value. And from the beginning he made it possible for us to know him. And to enjoy him. 
And he will do whatever it takes to make that possible. God appeared to them and walked with them with his presence. Gave them a place. Gave them a purpose. And and gives them one another. And what God did for them, he continues to do for all of his people. The only difference is that we are called to walk by faith and not by sight. And as we do so, we can have the joy of a walk with God in this life, no matter what time of day it is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we come before you this Lenten season and thank you for the gift that we may know your presence as truly as Adam and Eve did in the garden. We thank you that through your word you speak as clearly as you did to them. And we thank you for the blessings you have poured into our lives. We recognize that your hand is is with us and your presence is with us. And that you're in our homes, in our work, in our relationship. And we also see where our sin can ruin each and every one of these good gifts and steal the joy of what you've given us. We pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon us to bring us first an awareness and secondly an awareness of the blessing that you have placed upon us with your presence, our work, upon our homes and upon our relationships. And we pray that in our personal walks with you this Lenten and Easter tide, you would help us finally to bring all of these under your Lordship. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.